God, please set aside everything that I think I know about you, God, the steps recovery, the big book, what's best for me, what's best for others, especially help me let go of all my ideas, old ideas, so I can live on your spiritual truth. Heavenly Father, have mercy on me, a sinner. Help me to carry your message tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we are going to finish the chapter more about alcoholism, I believe, tonight. Um, they're talking now about the insanity of taking the first drink and why, why, we, why we can't keep from doing it. So I'm going to just review briefly on page 37 after they do uh, Jim's story. He, they say, how can such a lack of proportion of the ability to think straight be called anything else? That it's just, we have a lack of proportion of the ability to think straight to see the truth about alcohol. So we take the first drink, which is, is bad. And it says that um, they talk about, and it's a very, very good way of describing what happens to us. There's a curious mental phenomenon. That's what they call it. There's something in our brain that is always running parallel with our sound reasoning. Okay, I'm not going to drink. I can't take one drink. I know that. I have sound reasoning. But I've got this curious mental phenomenon in my brain that alcohol is waiting there to change the way I feel. And then it says, there inevitably run, ran some insanely trivial excuse for taking the first drink. And why? Because my sound reasoning, my willpower, my self-knowledge, whatever, failed to hold in check the curious mental phenomenon. Has that ever happened to anyone? See how beautifully that's described? There's two, two sides to your brain. The, the side that wants to have a drink and the side that doesn't want to have a drink. And the side that doesn't want to have a drink finds some trivial excuse to give power to the other side to tell us to drink. It's a good way of thinking about it. I don't know if I've ever described it like that. And they're, they're competing all the time. So that's why we have to work the steps all the time to keep that part of our brain in check. And we keep it in check through what? Our relationship with God. It's not complicated. The relationship with myself will keep it in check. Knowing more about myself will keep it in check. I just, and, and it says, um, we would go out sometimes to drink deliberately. And we always justify it by nervousness, anger, worry, depression, jealousy, or the like. There's this justification. You know, I drank because she did this or that or with the people at work. But, but it, it's, it's always... Um, the, the, the justification, they say, is insanely insufficient in the light of what always happens. And we've all done that. We, we justified, we needed a drink, we drank, and then it was a mess. And so now they talk about the jaywalker, which I read briefly. I'm going to just read it. And this is a great example of the insanity of alcohol. And I don't know where they got the example, the, uh, how they got the jaywalker. I've tried to look it up. I don't know. If somebody out there listening to podcast knows, uh, send, send me a comment, please. Seriously. It says, our behavior, my behavior, is as absurd and incomprehensible with respect to the first drink as that of an individual with a passion, say, for jaywalking. 
he gets a thrill out of skipping in front of fast moving vehicles. We got a thrill out of drinking. He enjoys himself for a few years. We did that, but we had friendly warnings that maybe this wasn't a good idea. Maybe, maybe our drinking was a problem. Up to this point, you will label him a foolish chap, having queer ideas of fun. Luck then deserts him, and he's slightly injured several times in succession, and that happens with our drinking careers. And you would expect him, if he were normal, which we're not, to cut it out, right? His sound reasoning would overcome the curious mental phenomenon that says, I need to jaywalk. So he's walking down the street, he says, I'm not going to jaywalk today. And then some insanely trivial uh, excuse, he runs in front of cars. And it says, presently, he's hit again. Anybody here hit again? And this time has a fractured skull. So he's going to quit. He tells everybody in the hospital he's not going to do it again, right? And everybody's happy. Within a week after leaving the hospital, a fast-moving trolley car breaks his arm. He tells you he's decided to stop jaywalking for good. He's done. But in a few weeks, he breaks both legs. Why? He doesn't have a power to overcome his passion for jaywalking. Jaywalking has a power over him. It does something for him. Alcohol has power over us. On through the years, the conduct continues accompanied by his continual promises to be careful. So we're going to be careful when we drink or keep off the streets altogether. Finally, can no longer work. His wife gets a divorce. He's held up to ridicule. He tries every known means to get the jaywalking idea out of his head. Did you try every means you could to stop your addiction, your drinking? Did you try everything you could to manage my life successfully? That was my main problem. I tried to manage my life successfully, and I had this insane idea that I could manage it successfully. And I kept doing it. And I kept, it kept getting worse. So he, he tries every known means of jaywalking out of his head. He shuts himself up in an asylum, hoping to mend his ways. But the day comes out, he races in front of a fire engine, which breaks his back. Such a man would be crazy, wouldn't he? Because the, 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 the jaywalking had power in his mind over him. And it was just the obsession in his mind. Any of you have that towards alcohol or drugs? Yes? No? So here it is. We didn't get through this. You may think our illustration is too ridiculous, but is it? We have been through the ringer, have to admit if we substitute. So the people reading, the, reading this book, they assume have been gone through the ringer. They're people who are desperate for a solution to their hopeless condition. They're willing to go to any length. And they're hammering home in this chapter that, hello, if you want what we have, which was to be recovered from this, then this is what we did. Please do it. So they said, uh, however intelligent we may have been in other respects, where alcohol has been involved, we have been strangely insane. Insanity. So, I mean, it's not just alcohol. You know, uh, it, this book was written before they had DraftKings and before they had gambling on Sunday, uh, on football. And I imagine there are people who lose all their money, you know, and because of their addiction. And it says, uh, 
Some of you are thinking, yes, what you tell us is true, but it doesn't fully apply. We admit we have some of these symptoms, but we have not gone to the extremes you fellows did, nor are we likely to. And here's the key, because I understand myself so well after what you have told us that such things cannot happen again. So they come to AA, they're here for a while, they say, great, I'm not as bad as you were, I can handle this, I've been sober a week now, I can get sober anytime. You've all heard it, right? And they understand themselves so well. I've been to treatment, I've had intensive therapy. We have not lost everything in life through drinking, and certainly do not intend to. Did anybody intend to get a wristband in a treatment center when they were 20 years old? Did anybody say, well, I'm gonna go to medical school and when I'm a certain age, I'll get a wristband and have lost almost everything. That may be true of certain non-alcoholic people who, though drinking foolishly and heavily at the present time, are able to stop or moderate because their brains and bodies have not been damaged as ours were. So these are people who have not lost the power of choice. Now, I don't know, I don't think a real alcoholic ever has the power of choice, but maybe at some point I had the power of choice, but I don't know, I drank through that. Anybody else do that? Dick, you do that? Yeah, Dick did it too, good. He did it several times. Uh, but the actual, the actual or potential alcoholic, so the potential alcoholic, and they say with hardly an exception. Now you could try to prove the exception, but I'm, it's not gonna work. I've seen that experiment done, I've done it. And here it is, we'll be absolutely unable to stop drinking on the basis of self-knowledge triggers, therapy, that's good. I'm not saying it's bad, but for treatment of my alcoholism, knowledge about me will not treat it. It won't give me the power I need, because it's human power. This is a point we wish to emphasize and reemphasize. I cannot stop drinking on the basis of self-knowledge. To smash home upon our re alcohol readers so they want to smash this home Remember, they had to smash, that we had to fully concede their inmost selves that were alcoholic. Now they want to smash home that we cannot stop drinking on the basis of self-knowledge. And it has been revealed to us out of our bitter experience. That was their bitter experience, that they could not, on knowledge of themselves, stop drinking. So they need knowledge of who? It's a three-letter word. Anybody remember? Like God, good. Josh has this strange look in his face. It has to be God. And knowledge of God, and we're gonna read we agnostics, which is those without knowledge of God. And how we go from being without knowledge of God to a relationship with God and faith and trust. Remember, it's because we have to live on a different basis. It says we have to trust and rely upon God. And if I don't trust and rely upon God and I trust upon myself and human power and self-knowledge, it's not gonna work. So they're gonna give us this final illustration of, of this point and it's Fred and it's a very powerful, the ending of this chapter is very powerful so we'll go through it now. Page 39, Fred is a partner in a well-known accounting firm. His income is good, he has a fine home, happily married, and the father of promising children at college. So he's, 
He's got everything going for him at home, right? He has an attractive personality that makes friends with everyone. If ever there was a successful businessman, it was Fred. Now they're giving us this example to show that no matter how things are, no matter how good everything is in your life, if you're a real alcoholic, it's not going to keep you from taking the first drink. Anybody believe that? No human power. So Fred's got it all going. To all appearances, he is a stable, well-balanced individual. Now remember, these are outward appearances, but we don't know what's going on in Fred's head, do we? We have no idea. The income being good, the fine home, the marriage, the children, that's not enough to make him feel good enough. You get it? It's not going to make him have the, the peace that he won't need that drink. Yet he is alcoholic. We first saw Fred about a year ago in a hospital where he'd gone to recover from a bad case of jitters. I don't think non-alcoholics go in to the hospital for bad cases of jitters, do you think? You, you used to do that, Dick. You never had people come in for jitters? That, no. No. It was his first experience of this kind, and he was much ashamed of it. You can understand that because he's been doing great. He's been managing his life. Things have been going well. Far from admitting he was an alcoholic, he told himself he came to the hospital to rest his nerves. Now, who told Fred that he just went to the hospital to rest his nerves? Fred did. You get it? He couldn't see the truth. He couldn't see the truth of his situation. So the, the doctor intimated strongly, intimated strongly that he might be worse than he realized. Remember we talk about rigorous self-honesty? Constitutionally incapable of being honest with themselves. At this point, Fred was not capable of seeing the truth. For a few days, he was depressed. Why? He couldn't get his way. He couldn't do what he wanted. He couldn't drink. He made up his mind, so here's what he's going to do. He's made up his mind to quit drinking altogether. That makes sense, doesn't it? It occurred to him, hey, Stu, we're on uh, page 39, buddy. Um, it never occurred to him that perhaps he could not do so. He made up his mind he's going to quit drinking. It never occurred to him he couldn't do it. In spite of his character and standing, Fred would not believe himself an alcoholic. Now, remember, the chapter started with the first step of recovery is you have to fully concede to yourself that you are an alcoholic. So let's see how Fred goes from not believing he's an alcoholic to accepting that he's an alcoholic. And so if he's not going to see he's an alcoholic, he's not going to accept a spiritual remedy for his problem because the remedy for his problem at this point is making up his mind that he's not going to drink. We told him what we knew about alcoholism, so they discussed what they knew about their experience with alcoholism, just like the book is telling us about alcoholism, and we're reading, we're reading that now, more about alcoholism. He was interested, why? Because he, 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 he sensed he was in bad shape and conceded that he had some of the symptoms, but he was a long way from admitting that he could do nothing about himself. He could not see that he could not fix this. He could not see that he didn't have the power to stop drinking. He was positive that the humiliating experience 
plus the knowledge he acquired would keep him sober the rest of his life. That kind of makes sense, doesn't it? He had a humiliating experience. He acquired the knowledge that he, he shouldn't drink, and that's going to keep him sober. But self-knowledge would fix it. Now, why do they talk about self-knowledge in Bill's story? They talk about it a couple of times here. Knowledge of me, the inner thinkings of my mind. Remember, Roland Hazard understood the innermost workings of his mind after a year of therapy, yet he was drunk within a week. Because that won't keep me, that won't treat that curious mental phenomenon in my head. You get it? Because living sober, my sound reasoning is going to find a trivial excuse to have that curious mental phenomenon tell me to take a first drink. So they heard no more of Fred for a while. One day we were told he was back in the hospital. This time he was pretty shaky. He soon indicated he was anxious to see us. So I think Fred is in pain. He's suffering. He's ready to, for a solution. I think he's had enough. The story you told is most instructive for here was a chap absolutely convinced he could stop, he had to stop drinking. He had no excuse for drinking. He exhibited splendid judgment and determination, all other concerns, yet he was flat on his back nevertheless. It's hard to understand that, but we understand it because we've done it, we've lived it. Let him tell you about it. So here's Fred's story. I was much impressed with what you fellows said about alcoholism, and I frankly did not believe it was possible for me to drink again. Now, that was his idea, right? So that's one old idea I have to get rid of, that I have the power to keep from drinking again. I rather appreciate your ideas about the subtle insanity which precedes the first drink. But he was confident in himself. I, I read it added in himself. It could not happen to me after what I had learned. I reasoned I was not so far advanced as most of your fellows. You hear that all the time. I haven't been to jail. I didn't get a DUI. I still got a job. You know, they're telling us how good their life is, yet they're here. You get it? And I listen to them. We've all heard it. And I'm praying that they're done. But when they're telling me how they're not that bad yet, that tells me that maybe they're not completely defeated. I don't know. But I've seen a lot of them not stay in the program, not stay and not do it. And he had been, I, I was not so far advanced as most of you fellows that I'd been unusually successful in licking my other personal problems, and I would be therefore successful where you guys failed. See, I'm a success. I'm a smart guy. I can do it. You guys can't do it, but I, I can do it. I felt I had every right to be self-confident that it would be only a matter of exercising my willpower. Remember, at certain times, our willpower won't work. Why? Because it cannot recall the humiliation and defeat of even a moment ago. Because our, our, at a certain time, we can't see the truth about alcohol and we drink. So he was going to exercise his willpower and keep on guard. I've heard that too. I know when the certain time's coming, and I'm ready. I'll be ready. I'll be okay. Yeah, but that's the, the and he's going to keep on guard with what? Now remember, if an alcoholic's breathing, he's in trouble. If he's awake, so he's going to keep on guard with his mind. So let's see what happens to Fred. This is such a, so well written. In this frame of mind, I went about my business.
and for a time all was well. I had no trouble refusing drinks. We've all done that, that you know, you have those days where you can do it for a while. And he began to wonder if it had not been making too hard work of a simple matter. Now this is where Joey Charlie said this is the beginning of his relapse. Because he's telling himself, well, you know, it wasn't that bad. And making, I'm making too much of this. You get it? And so his mind's already saying, you're, you're going to drink. One day I went to Washington to present some accounting evidence to a government bureau. I'd been out of town during this particular dry spell. Now remember, dry spell, not emotionally sober. He's just physically sober. So there was nothing new about that. And physically, he felt fine. But remember, where does the disease center? In our mind. Neither did I have any pressing problems or worries. Nothing. And I wrote here, we can never fix things outside of us well enough to fix the spiritual reality. I can never manage. Remember, I had this delusion that I would have happiness and satisfaction out of life if I managed it well. And, and uh, Fred and all the rest of us, that if I could just fix things outside of me, everything will be OK inside. But we can never fix the outside well enough. Remember, it's an inside job. We have to fix it with our relationship with God. And, we, and when we're depending on the outside world to be okay, we've made the world our higher power. That's pretty dangerous, don't you think? It didn't work for me. So his business came off well, and I was pleased to knew my partners would be too. It was the end of a perfect day, not a cloud on the horizon. Now what I wrote here, because I've covered this so many times, is perfect days won't treat alcoholism. In fact, when we have that perfect day, we need to reward ourselves. Anybody relate to that? Well, boy, things went great today. I deserve a drink. Let's have a drink. So he went to the hotel and leisurely dressed for dinner. Now here's how quick it can start. As I crossed the threshold of the dining room, the thought came from who? Not from God, from Fred came to mind that it would be nice to have a couple cocktails with dinner. Now, he's forgotten everything that he said. You get it? And he's walking into the restaurant. We've all done this. That was all, nothing more. Just a, the thought came that it would be nice to have a few drinks. Remember, Bill was at the lobby, and he heard the music and the bar, and he said, well, I'll just go in there and I'll just sit. And then as he's taking a few steps, well, maybe I'll have one drink, or maybe I'll have a few drinks. You get it? That's how quickly the insanity. But he was lucky because he had a relationship with God, and God said to Bill, no. Remember, he shivered, and he turned away. Fear gripped him. He could see the truth, and he'd walked away. I ordered a cocktail in my meal. That's how quick it is. Then I ordered another one going well. After dinner, I decided to take a walk. When I returned to the hotel, it struck me a highball would be fine before going to bed. Makes sense, doesn't it? Except he's an alcoholic. So I stepped into the bar and had one. And he remembered having several more that night and plenty the next morning. He had, I have a shadowy recollection of being an airplane bound for New York and of finding a friendly taxicab driver at the landing field instead of my wife. The driver escorted him about for several days. I knew little of where I went, what I said and did. 
Then came the hospital with unbearable mental and physical suffering. Now I wrote, it, having unbearable mental and physical suffering, suffering won't keep me sober unless it causes me to surrender completely. You get it? And because I had mental and physical suffering for a long time before I surrendered completely. And, and why did I surrender that day? Because I could see all the guns. I, I, the guns had been pointing at me for a long time, but I couldn't see them. But on that day, at 2.30 in the afternoon, I could see the guns pointed at me, and I saw there was no way I could fix this, and I just gave up. And I want to tell you, I was sad, it was, it was horrible, but I felt a sense of relief when I just said, I can't do this. It was just a sense of relief. And they talk about that. You can share about that, too. As soon as I regained my ability to think, I went carefully over that evening in Washington. Not only had I been off guard, now who's the guard? He was his own guard. But who's going to be my shield against drinking? God. And if you want to read about uh, that, read uh, Ephesians chapter 6, the armor of God. Right, Josh? You're awake? Yeah, Ephesians 6. It's powerful. The shield. They talk about the shield, the helmet, the belt. And we need that to fight off the obsession to drink. I had made no fight whatever against the first drink. This time I had not thought of the consequences at all. At certain times, right? He's an alcoholic, has no defense against the first drink. I commenced to drink as carelessly as though the cocktails were ginger ale. I now remembered what my alcoholic friends had told me, how they prophesied that if I was an alcoholic, that if I had the alcoholic mind, the time and place would come, I would drink. Now, that, that's a good way of saying no defense. That if I'm an alcoholic, the time and place is going to come and I'm going to drink. I believe that today. But if I'm in a relationship with God, I, don't, I have a power not to drink. They had said that though I had, did raise a defense, it would one day give way before some trivial reason for having a drink. Well, just that did happen, and more for what I'd learned of alcoholism did not occur to me at all. I knew from that moment I had an alcoholic mind. See, he could see it. He could see that he'd lost the power of choice. He had no power, absolutely. And he went from, he, he was going to be on guard, and he was going to watch, and he was going to use his sound mental reasoning to, after that episode, he understood that he had no defense. I saw that willpower and self-knowledge would not help in those strange mental blank spots. And we never know when they're going to come. Now, the more you work the steps, the closer you get to God, I, I don't think about drinking much anymore. I, I don't know when I last thought about it, because it's, it's, it becomes not part of our life because we're living in the worlds of the spirit. But if I stop doing that, I'm sure it'll come back. And I don't want to do that experiment. So I'll keep doing what I'm doing. I'd never been able to understand people who said that a problem had them hopelessly defeated. I liked that. I knew then it was a crushing blow. So I have to see that I'm hopelessly defeated. And this book is written for hopelessly defeated people, because if you're not hopelessly defeated, you're not going to do this work, the action steps. You're just not going to do it. How do you know if somebody's hopelessly defeated? See if they follow directions and if they want to get in the book and they want to 
read it and they want to do their fourth step. It's not complicated. I don't like to wait too long to get people into the fourth step because they, they don't have any power yet. Making a decision step three doesn't change me. I have to start the work. Once you start the work and you follow the instructions in the book and you start writing your list and you write your columns, you're with God. You start saying the prayer to be free from anger. You can see how your self-centered character destroyed you. You can see how you harm people. And then you look at your fears, you do the same. So it doesn't take long, but if you're not doing that, then you're, you're just sober without God. Praying to God without having the relationship that they talk about through working steps four through nine is not the same. I can't explain it to people who tell me they believe in God, they pray. I said, fine, but why are you still drinking? Why is your life a mess? Why hasn't it worked? I said, because you haven't let God work in your life. And until you start the action steps to destroy your self-centeredness, to destroy uh, the way you're thinking so you can see the truth about your thinking, can you allow God to work in your life? To be free of anger, free of fear, free of shame and guilt. So two of the members of Alcoholics Anonymous, sorry to get off there, came to see me. They grinned, which I didn't like so much, and then asked me, you see, they're laughing because they've all been through it, right? We laugh when people tell us stories they drove on the wrong side of the road, blah, blah, blah. Uh, we're laughing, normal people here. I say, what's wrong with these people? Uh, they grinned, which I didn't like so much, and then asked me if I thought myself alcoholic and if I were really licked this time. I had to concede both propositions. They piled on me heaps of evidence to the effect that an alcoholic mentality such as I had exhibited in Washington was a hopeless condition. And that's what we're supposed to do with someone from our own experience. And the evidence of what we've seen working with others and in our own lives. They cited cases out of their own experience by the dozen. This process snuffed out, notice the term, it snuffed out the last flicker of conviction that I could do the job myself. And I think I have to have that conviction in myself snuffed out that I can manage my life successfully. I have to have it snuffed out that I have the power to drink. They then outline the spiritual answer and program of action. So once it's snuffed out that flicker that I can do the job myself, then you could talk about the spiritual answer and program of action. Now the problem I make is sometimes I'll talk about the spiritual answer and the program of action and the person I'm talking to hasn't snuffed out the last flicker of conviction that they can do the job themselves. They're not completely defeated. And I can't make anybody feel that way. I can't snuff out anybody's last flicker. Do you see that? We can't do it. We just hope that that happens. And if it does, then we have to be ready. The spiritual answer program of action, which a hundred of them had followed successfully, that I had been only a nominal churchman, their proposals were not intellectually hard to swallow. But listen to this, but the program of action, though sensible, was pretty drastic. You get it? It's pretty drastic to do 40 pages of, of directions when you're dying. You see how preposterous it is? See, he's dying. It's like Bill arguing with Emmy about God when when Bill's dying of alcoholism. But eventually, Bill, at that table, saw the truth. 
because it meant having to throw several lifelong convictions out of the out of the window. And what was that all about? It was his ideas. He had to throw out his old ideas, his lifelong conceptions had to be thrown out, and it's not easy. But the moment, and here's the key, the moment I made up my mind to go through with the process, I had the curious feeling that my alcohol condition was relieved as it proved to be. Once we start seriously doing the work of the steps, the serious commitment to have God be our director, a serious commitment to look at the things that are blocking me, we start to feel relieved. In fact, it says on page 75 on the fifth step that we start to have a, a conscious contact with God. Quite important was the discovery, now here's the thing, that the spiritual principles would solve all my problems. So remember it says we had to find a power and the power would solve our problem. We have one problem. So how can we only have one problem? Each day I could find five problems. My only problem was my running the show, was my separation from God, remember? Conscious contact, conscious separation. And that can happen during the day. I consciously separate from God. Uh-oh, there you go, Michael. Have to get back to conscious contact with God. The fears are gone, the anger's gone. I've changed the way I think. And that means practicing the principles in all our affairs. I have since been brought into a way of living infinitely more satisfying and I hope more useful than the life I lived before. If I ever stop talking and there's time, we could share how that's true for you. My old manner, I'm on a roll tonight. My old manner of life was by no means a bad one, but I would not exchange its best moments for the worst I have now. I would no guy back to it even if I could. I would not want to go back to the way I was. And even today, I still have the same character defects, right? So when they come out and, and they're part of my personality, they don't feel good. And I want to be rid of them. Fred's story speaks for itself. It's powerful. Now remember, they don't tell us what happened to Jim. The man of 30 died. The jaywalker, he's not going to do well. But Fred made it. Why? Because it snuffed out the last flicker that he could do it himself. He was ready to accept the spiritual program and do it. We hope it strikes home the thousands like him. Uh, this story has been read by how many millions of people. He had felt only the first nip of the ringer. So you don't remember hitting bottom isn't, circum, isn't circumstances. Hitting bottom is when you see the hopelessness of your situation. You can have a lot of money and have a hopeless situation. You get it? Because, and so people have to see, when they say hitting bottom is like, I didn't get a DUI. Or, hitting bottom is when I had that moment when I saw that I was hopelessly defeated. I didn't want to go anymore. I could not lick it. I still remember that. I don't want to ever forget it. Most alcoholics have to be badly mangled before they really commence to solve their problems. Why do we have to be badly mangled? Because we don't want to give up on ourselves. Most doctors and psychiatrists agree with our conclusions. You know, they're finishing summarizing the disease of alcoholism. One of these men, staff member of a world-renowned hospital, recently made the statement to some of us. What you say about the general hopelessness of the average alcoholic's plight is, in my opinion, correct. As the two of you men whose stories I've heard, there's no doubt in my mind that you are 100% hopeless apart from divine help. 
Had you offered yourself as patience at this hospital, I would not have taken you if I had been able to avoid it. People like you are too heartbreaking. They're not a religious person. I have profound respect for the spiritual approach in such cases as yours. For most cases, there's no virtually no other solution. One of the great gifts of doing this meeting, we're now in our 16th year, is I've seen so many people who struggled come and go, come and go, and then finally something clicks, and they went from a hopeless condition of mind and body to now they're sober of 9, 10, 12 years. That's something. And when you see that, you're convinced. It's, there are convincing evidence of the power of this uh, steps and how God can work in your life. And I hope I've been able to do that at some point through when I talk. But I've seen it through them. And then I've seen them work with others. It's so powerful when you see that. Once more, here they go. The alcoholic, not, not, the, not the, the newly sober alcoholic, or the alcoholic is in the hospital in DTs, but the alcoholic, me, you, all of us here, at certain times, we have no effective mental defense against the first drink. We never have an effective mental drink. Except in a few cases, neither he nor any other human being can provide such a defense. My defense must come from a higher power. It comes from a relationship with God. The state of being connected to God. Living in the world of spirit. Trust you're relying upon God. So, uh, I went on a little bit, but it's great stuff, wasn't it? I mean, very powerful ending of their description of, the, of alcoholism. And we'll open it up. Thank you, guys.